You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Ever heard of the Star Network? It stands for the Sustainable Textile of the Asian Region. It was initiated with the support of the GIZ Fabric Project. And it's the first inter-Asian network of producer associations. The Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation toward fair production for people and the environment. The network brings together representatives of the producing associations from Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, Myanmar, Pakistan, and Vietnam. The network's members all meet regularly and have undertaken work together in order to promote sustainable production. According to their spokesperson and our guest today, Miran Ali, they represent over 60% of the global market share of global apparel and footwear factory exports. They've been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks because they've announced a pretty groundbreaking initiative which was launched in partnership with GIZ Fabric and the International Apparel Federation, also known as the IAF, calling for better purchasing practices. IAF members from three additional countries have also already joined the initiative. And as those of you tuning into our episodes for a long time will know, lateral supplier collaboration is a topic that has come up again and again. So we were thrilled when our friends at GIZ Fabric introduced us to Miran. Miran is the wearer of many hats. He is the managing director of Bitopi Group, an apparel manufacturer based in Bangladesh. He is also the director at the RMG, Ready Made Garments Sustainability Council in Bangladesh. Director of Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exports Association, and as we mentioned, he is also the spokesperson for the Star Network. In this episode, we talked to Miran about the origins of the Star Network back in 2016. How did it come about? What was the process for getting it set up? How did they address supplier fears regarding collaboration? What kinds of issues were suppliers keen to collaborate on, and which issues were off limits? In part two of this conversation, which we've also released today, we get more into the present and their recent initiative on purchasing practice. On which purchasing practices exactly does the Star Network hope to put forward minimum standards? What has the process for agreeing these minimum standards in and amongst suppliers been like? Do all the suppliers agree, or are there areas of contention? And of course, what's going to come next? We also want to highlight that GIZ Fabric has a great online seminar series called "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry." Miran was a speaker on both the first and the eleventh seminar within this series. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry," check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe.
a bit about you and your story. What was your entry point into the fashion industry? How did you get involved in this business? Right. Well, um, as typically happens in, in our part of the world, my father started it. Um, now, uh, my, my, uh, but incidentally, by the way, my mother also worked. She was a professor of sociology. Um, my father started, got into business about 50 years ago, and I was actually educated in, in Bangladesh, in schools in the UK, and then in the US, back in the UK again. After I finished my master's, it was a question of really um, a financial need uh, for me to come back to Bangladesh. Um, because I'm the eldest, it was, um, and the others were studying in university, so I came back to Bangladesh, and lo and behold, there was this small factory, and I started, I've got a picture of it back here. Um, so I started with a very small factory with uh, quite a small turnover, only about 700 people. And um, today, uh, 21 years on, I'm at about 15,000. Are you still only in, in Bangladesh? We are still only in Bangladesh. Um, that, so that's where we stand. Now, I, uh, so I have an MBA. Um, well, I did my undergraduate degree in history. And then I did an MBA, partly in England, partly in Paris, in fact. Came back to Bangladesh, got into this business, which was back in 1999. It was much less mature than it is today. Um, so I was one of the first uh, people who actually had to encounter code of conduct audits and such things, which were at that time in the mid-90s being rolled up by Nike in Vietnam and then escalating into other countries. You've given us a sense of the scale of Bitopi, but um, I'm curious, are you doing cut and sew? Are you also doing, what kind of production are you doing? Right. Well, um, and then this part partly, uh, sort of fits in with what I want to talk about later on about COVID survival. I, I'm a cut and sew factory. I have my own laundry, my own embroidery, but I'm a cut and sew factory. I've, I, I am a strong proponent of the opinion that you're either good at manufacturing apparel or you're good at manufacturing textile. It's very rare that you're good at manufacturing both. You are if you are in a corporate structure. Unfortunately, we are not in a corporate structure. We have really it's a more owner-led hands-on operation. You know, when I look at your profile and all the the many hats that you wear, I mean, you're the, the director at the Ready-Made Garments Sustainability Council in Bangladesh. You're also the director of the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association. On top of your duties, you know, managing as managing director of Bitopi Group. And then you're also the spokesperson for the STAR Network, a regional network of manufacturer associations. And I'm curious, before we get into the details of the STAR Network, collaboration seems to be something that is important to you, uh, based on all of these many positions that I've just listed. And I'm, I'm curious, has that always been something that you value? How did it become such a, a driving force for you? It, it's interesting that you, um, that you draw out this common thread of collaboration. And I actually hadn't thought of it like that before. Um, but you're right. It is, it is there. And I, I am a strong believer in people working together. I believe that by working together, we can be stronger. And I, I, I just don't say that as a, uh, some catchphrase. Um, I have seen it in practice. So 
for example, to talk about the RSC for a second, the RMG Sustainability Council, which took over for the Accord for Bangladesh Worker Safety last year. I was involved in the negotiation, um, the convoluted and extensive negotiations with both the global brands and the global trade unions. Um, or I was one of the team that negotiated on this issue. Now, when you work on a team um, representing Bangladesh garments industry, within our own industry, we have different opinions, different points of view. And one of the things I value the most is to, to achieve, arrive at a compromise and never to give up. Um, and that is something we wrote into the Articles of Association of the RSC, that the board of the RSC will not vote on a majority basis. It is going to have to arrive at a consensus. And that's what I believe in. I believe in a consensual um, uh, form of managing issues. Um, and the RSC is a very difficult issue that we have managed. And then that, that brought us to the to the Star Network. Before we get into that, could you give us a bit of context? What is the Star Network? What how, and how did it come about? Right. So uh, back in 2016, the GIZ, the German government's technical assistance wing, through their project called Fabric, which has been operating in Bangladesh for a long time and has been working closely with the garments industry, um, they they actually. Uh, together with them and one of our vice presidents at that time, Mr. Farouk Hassan, we sort of came up together that wouldn't it be interesting if that that bogeyman we always hear about was somebody we knew. So every manufacturer in every one of the country, these countries hears about how the other one is faster, more efficient and cheaper. Um, and, uh, and and better in every respect, and and it, and it would be interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could actually know who this this you know great person is? And then we had this idea: Why don't we get together these associations under a sort of neutral um, body like the GIZ, where there is no particular um, business interest of anybody's, and maybe they can bring us together, maybe we can start building some understanding, um, some appreciation of the challenges that are faced by manufacturers in Cambodia versus manufacturers in Vietnam or China. Maybe there's something we can learn from each other as well. We will always be comp competitors, but it doesn't mean that we can't learn from each other. So I, I've been involved as a representative of the BGMEA, I've been one of the two representatives from Bangladesh on the Star Network from the very beginning. And as a part of this, we have um, done lots of work. We, in the past, we used to do physical workshops where we would meet each other. There would be a, a, a round table where we would come and brief each other on what is really happening in our countries, not what you read in the websites or the newspapers, which are often not necessarily um, reflecting what the manufacturer's perspective is. I, I'm a manufacturer and an exporter. I want to know what's happening as a manufacturer and exporter to somebody else. Um, and that is very, very difficult to cut through all that shaft and get to the real story. And that's what we used to do. We also used to take each other to each other's factories or to other factories we thought were 
uh, representative of good practices and try to sh show, okay, uh, this is a factory which does a great job of um, social dialogue. This is, this is how they do it. Let's talk to them. Let's see what we can learn from that. Or come to my factory and look at my um, water recycling system, my um, rainwater harvesting, my lighting system, my ventilation system. So this is more of a technical uh, you know, opinion. Um, so this is where we were at when the pandemic hit. We're going to get to what came after the pandemic, but I, I want to just pause for a little bit on the origins of the Star Network, because I think when you describe it like that, it sounds so obvious. It sounds so like a no-brainer, like, of course you would do this. But I don't think, I mean, you tell me if, 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 if this is true or not, but I suspect that there was probably a ton of resistance, right? Um, and that a lot of the suppliers, a lot of the suppliers that we've even talked to on this show are theoretically on board with the benefits of collaboration, but at the same time, something we heard, we've heard a lot too, is that the benefits of collaboration are, are pretty abstract. They're, they're kind of hypothetical, something that will be realized at an uncertain moment in the future. And so when you have sort of an abstract or hypothetical benefit on the one hand, and on the other hand, this perceived threat of competition of sort of you know, letting out your secrets, that that sort of fear wins over. And so I'm curious whether this was something that the Star Network encountered, especially at the beginning, and, and how, you, how you coped with it. Well, it's, it's not a perceived competition. It is competition. I want your business. I mean, there's no, there's no secret about perceived it. Perceived threat. Yeah, perceived, perceived threat. Perceived threat. I, 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 all the business you have, I want it um, for my country. <laughs> and and um, I want Bangladesh to be number one. So, and, and the same goes for everybody else. Um, but the, the reality is there was a lot of hesitation um, and, and sort of I, everybody's perfectly friendly with each other from day one, but it was just a getting to know each other. Uh, we needed a couple of meetings, a uh, couple of physical meetings before we even reached a point where we could actually start communicating with each other on a more free, open level. So um, mm. there, there were benefits. There are benefits. There are some I can speak about, some I can't speak about. For example, um, when Vietnam and Cambodia has a certain experience with, say, an international organization in terms of social compliance, and that same um, uh, project will be implemented in Bangladesh afterwards, speaking to the people who handled it on the behalf of VITAS and GMAC is a good background for us to negotiate when we are negotiating with the same international organization. And that is what we did, in fact. And we did make some changes, and, when, and as a result, our one is working very, very well. Um, mm -hmm. Similarly, when you are um, thinking about what, what are the things that can make you more, I mean, yes, um, there are some things that are, um, are re realistically speaking, will be some information that, uh, we will be sharing with each other that does change competition. Um, for example, rooftop mounted solar. Next time we have a physical meeting of the Star Network, I'm sure they'll be coming to my factory to see the solar panel. Okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to go back home and try to put it up themselves. Well, it's not something which is particularly new. The model itself is not particularly new. 
And it's something that we want people to do because we want, uh, this is not an altruistic thing. We want to raise the bar of what it means to be an exporter and a manufacturer for not just in Bangladesh, but everywhere. So if everybody has rainwater harvesting, there is no, I lose nothing as a manufacturer or as a country. As a matter of fact, the world gains something by people reusing the rainwater. So there's only a net gain that can happen. Um, I, I, at the worst, I might, I, and it's, it's interesting about the perceived threat. So I went to this Chinese factory um, with Syntax and I saw them operating something. I took some videos, I came back, I said, can we do this? And we couldn't because um, taking a video of somebody operating a machine in a certain manner and being actually able to implement it in your factory in a different country, in a different culture is a whole different thing. So, um, yeah, you can take as many pictures and videos as you want. It change takes time and um, our competitive advantages remain as they are, even if we start learning a few things about what is better about each of our countries. And then we can raise the bar gradually. I, I noticed something at the beginning when I read uh, about the Star Network. I noticed there are six countries, Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, Myanmar, Pakistan, and Vietnam. Uh, as everyone can see, it's very obvious. China is, uh, is a big economic entity here. So the manufacturers in China and manufacturers in Cambodia and the manufacturers in Bangladesh, they must feel very different challenges and very different situations talking about the regulations, for instance, and so on. So when I look at this uh, network, I am very curious what kind of benefits bring to, uh, for instance, a Chinese manufacturer located in China, not in, not in Cambodia. I mean, and I'm very curious that, uh, I think I have half of the answer, but just raise here as a side note that India is not in this, uh, in this, uh, in this list because India is a very big textile manufacturer too. We are primarily, not primarily, entirely an association, a grouping of manufacturers associations. So, uh, it is my understanding, um, that there are, there was no similar counterpart to something like the BGMEA or GMAC in India for us to associate with. We welcome any association with India because I think we need to have them as a part of the conversation. Um, coming to the first part of your question, the, um, from the, 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 the benefit that the Chinese associations uh, felt they could get from this network was initially in the first couple of years to first try to map where the overseas Chinese investments have gone. Um, Hmm. Okay, because that's fascinating. Yeah, because this is something that it, you would imagine, uh, or people, one would imagine that China would have this information, but they don't have this information. <laughs> so um, it was like, okay, how many of the, your members are actually from China? In, you know, this is a, uh, it's a varying number, very little in Pakistan, but in Cambodia, Vietnam, and some in Bangladesh, quite significant. The second thing is, um, it is it is putting putting us into a conversation now. If you ask for a specific benefit that a monetary benefit that a factory in China can get, a, chi a factory in China can get an, uh, an access to a network which is going beyond their country, and that applies for anybody else of our members as well. The benefit that each of us can get is actually very similar. Um, 
it, it's all, all a question of trying to um, build a greater understanding of what are the challenges, what are the threats and opportunities in each of our countries so that I can take, I or a Chinese factory can take a better decision on what to do in their own business expansion plans or their business um, contraction plans for that matter. Yeah, yeah, I I responded to that a lot. I asked that question originally because, for instance, in the last, um, probably in the last uh, nearly 10 years or less, a little bit less than 10 years, as I understood, China government um, put up more and more strict environmental regulations on the industry, industrial practice on the surroundings. So basically, the environmental regulations are more and more strict, and the enforcement is also more and more strict. As I'm quite curious about how they cope up with that. And I think through this network, each manufacturer could really share very specific practice and also learn from each other about lots of little methods and ideas and different perspectives and get lots of inspirations. And I have that question also related to a very recent news we heard. And I think that's how I also noticed Star Network, the, the uh, special part of this network. We all know the cotton is a very important raw material, actually. And because of the news of China, the regional cotton supply. And now I think big part of textile, especially on Southeast Asia, might got uh, impact quite heavily on cotton supply. And India is not in this network. And India is also a big cotton producer as a material. So I think all this together, maybe this network has a, a even more special meaning and function in today's situation. We, um, yes. So uh, to, to answer the part about the cotton part, again, we are still competitors. So um, Pakistan and I are competing for the identical product. So mm. we we don't we there's going to be very it's going to be very difficult for us to have cooperation on sharing um, sourcing strategies, for example. That that's going to be a hard one to dip, hard one to do. I I don't think we're going to take up that challenge right away. We are instead looking at what are the commonalities of our challenges. Um, so. The pressure on raw materials, that's going to be different from each, in each country. One of the things that came up prior to the pandemic, in fact, was uh, trying to find a convergence of, um, and there are other projects working on it, but none of them which involves our voices. One of the issues that we started looking at prior to the pandemic was the question of audits and audit fatigue. Now, um, there are different initiatives working on audit fatigue and social and audit um, convergence or whatever they call it, but they don't have our voices. Because usually what happens is that somebody um, turns up in a flight and says, okay, here's a new audit mechanism or an audit manual. Now you're going to all follow it. And we as manufacturers all follow it. So one of the things that we wanted to do prior to the pandemic was actually develop uh, some a common basis of audits so that we could have some uh, reduction of loss there. That got pushed back by the pandemic. Um, 
In regards to the environmental standards, the environmental standards, of course, vary, vary from country to country, but in many, many cases, they're actually quite similar because you, all, you generally have to comply to at least WHO standards, and unless your national standard is higher. Um, but again, this is a, when you, when you get into this, this subject, which really became uh, massive in China in 2017 and 18, um, yeah, was really a very technical issue related to biological oxygen demand and chemical oxygen demand in the water and the pH level of the water, and also the municipal water treatment facilities as well. So um, it, it was too technical an issue and very specific to a particular region in China where it was mostly affected, where the, you had the older factories, the older state-run then privatized factories, which were mostly affected. We did get delivery problems because of that, though. <laughs> I want to talk about what's happened since COVID-19, but I have one last sort of context question, which, and that is about, um, you mentioned that the Star Network was initiated by the GIZ Fabric Project. Yeah. And I'm curious, why was that? What was their role? Like, why Why did was that sort of the spark that was needed to sort of bring these various associations together, you know? This this actually happens to be one of those interesting organizations which has, a, has, a, has projects in the area of textiles in various Asian countries. And that could be a mitigate, that could be one of the catalytic fa factors. Um, what, uh, I can't really imagine any other association which has such a wide range, um, any other organ development partner which has such a range of projects. Now, should, did we need to have somebody else come in and put it together? I think, yes, initially we did. Our long-term plan, um, which we were discussing prior to the pandemic was that at one stage, the GIZ would no longer be uh, part of this, uh, coordinating this thing necessarily, that we would sort of become independent and we would see the value in this to continue the project as it is. Um, but uh, then we got sidelined for a number of issues. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of pandemic, I think it's time to get into the Star Network's recent joint statement on purchasing practices, which is what we'll get into in part two of this episode, which we've also released today. So continue on listening if you're enjoying the conversation. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.